On this episode, we're going to talk about live drops and dead drops. How have they been used historically? How are they used now? What are some common ways people use them and don't even realize what they're called? We're also going to look at ways and places that you can do things at home to hide objects, whether it's to pass off information or just protect your valuables that can be used anywhere around your house. And you can also use them in public if you want to practice or have a reason to do an actual live drop or dead drop. That's happening right here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. This is episode 14 of the Gray Man Concept, where we're going to discuss live drops and dead drop. Like many of our previous subjects, I don't think people realize how often they actually perform a live drop or even a dead drop. It's not all that uncommon. We just don't always know what it's called or why we're doing it. It's a very secure way, if done properly, to pass off information. It's something that's been done in the world of espionage for decades, maybe even centuries. The purpose of these drops is to pass off information, items, or any other sensitive subject matter to another person, whether it's to an asset, to a handler, or to another spy, in order to get this item from one place to another securely without drawing attention to yourself. And very often they are actually hidden in plain sight, and sometimes they're not. You can actually find articles on live drops and dead drops, not just how to do them, but you'll find information where it's believed there are probably thousands upon thousands of dead drop locations still around the world that may even have items in them that have been lost over time from practitioners of espionage during the Cold War, even during modern times. Between the two, the dead drop is very likely the most secure in most situations. The reason for that is you only have one individual at the drop location at a time. However, the live drop doesn't require the amount of planning or preparation necessarily to put an item in place. So sometimes when it comes to placing the item in the dead drop, it could be less secure. So the general idea is very simply this. So a live drop requires two people to be present. We see this in movies all the time and there's even... uh, video footage, documentary stuff that's done not only on spies, but also just in law enforcement surveillance, where an individual passes an item off to another. We see it in movies all the time where they're sitting at the park bench and they pass something off. You can also find recent stuff on the FBI doing stings on certain spies in this country in the last couple of years where there's actual video of guys passing each other on the stairs. Um, one guy with a briefcase gives it to the others. They walk by, which is also not something that's unheard of. It's very common in movies. The dead drop is one person at a time. So an individual drops an item, plants it at a location, and then at a later time, the other person comes by and picks it up. Now that's the simple explanation that most people know, but we'll get a little deeper into this. But let's first start looking at situations we do this. If you meet somebody for any reason to give them something, even as simple as saying you went to a party You got some take-home food, and then later you meet them in order to give the Tupperware back. That is essentially the same idea as a live drop. Granted, that's a generic example, but it's a very simple way to look at how a live drop works. Dead drops are almost sporting events in this country and other places around the world. If you know what geocaching is, and if you don't look it up, it's where people take items and hide them, basically, in different devices, sometimes lunch pails, wherever. Individuals taking a compass or a GPS device essentially go hiking. Sometimes this is done in urban environment. A lot of times it's done outdoors to make the hike and the adventure more fun. 
And then they find this item, and in some situations, they either take something and leave something there in return. Some people do this as contests. But if you look up geocaching, what that is is a dead drop. For those who have ever done any type of orienteering or even land navigation like they do in the military, where you're just simply using a compass and distance and direction or coordinates, you go out and find a location, you write down the number for your point. That's the same idea as a dead drop. In the movies, we see it very common with lockers, usually in the train station or airport, where they pass off a key and then they go and pick up something in that location. That's a dead drop. Or it's a long-term storage area where a guy has you know, his emergency bag. That's still essentially a dead drop. If you think about a storage unit, that could be considered a dead drop even if it's just for you. Drops are used for multiple reasons. The most common reason that you've probably heard of and is somewhat true when it comes to the world of espionage is they use it to pass items and information. It's a way to communicate in a secure method. The other way drops are used is long-term storage, essentially, to secure an item, similar to like a safe, but they're not using a safe. This is how some people store extra items in a storage unit. Some people have caches, whether they're storing money, weapons, food, whatever. Those are still dead drops. They just might only be used for you or members in your family to access them. If you think about a key hidden at a house, well, granted, in some places it's common to find it under the mat, on the front door, in small towns where everything's generally safe. Some places won't do that, but that's still a dead drop. No matter what you use it for, long-term storage or passing off information, think of the old uh, having all your eggs in one basket is not a good idea. Prime example of that is when I like to use movies sometimes, I always like to reference Jason Bourne because there's some good and bad things in there and most people have seen it. But in the first Jason Bourne movie, when he's trying to figure out who he is, he ends up at that very modern bank. At the bank, he gets access, finds out that he has some materials there in a safety deposit box, which includes multiple identities and passports, money from different countries, a few other items. That is totally unrealistic. While it's completely realistic, somebody in that line of work would have such a place, which isn't a bad one. If you're the only person that has access, it's in a secure facility with surveillance. It's a good place to store things. And a lot of people use safety deposit boxes for that. What's unrealistic is he has everything there, especially somebody that was really a spy. They would not keep all those items in one place, especially multiple identities. The reason being is very simple. If you were to lose that location, you lose everything. And it doesn't have to be law enforcement or somebody finding you out or any of that kind of stuff. It could be as simple as an earthquake destroys the building or a fire. There's a lot of reasons. Or perhaps you can't get to that location for some reason because something's going on. You need other locations you can get to. Some might be very close, might be places in your own home, and some places are going to be like that at other businesses, train station, locker, whatever. There's a lot of places you can store items so they get split up. So keep that in mind. Another thing we see in movies that may not always be true is the thumb drive. We'll use that as an example since it's more modern where there's something digitally they keep on a thumb drive that they're going to pass off through a live drop or dead drop to another individual in the movie. That's not always the case either. you got to think about it like classified information. They call it compartmentalized. You split up the pieces enough so that somebody gets one or two pieces, they don't have enough or very likely don't have enough to draw the whole picture. So in some situations, if you were actually passing off a large volume of digital information, depending on what it is, it might be done in several passes at several locations or done in different ways so that if something happened and you were compromised or you lost the drop or the person who picks it up was compromised, you don't lose all of that information. Something else to look at too is a live drop and dead drop can happen at the same time. What I mean by that is one person 
who says dropping the item can be using it as a live drop while communicating or suggesting the other person it's a dead drop. So when the other person picks it up, they don't realize person number one is there. Because when it comes to this world, it's not fair to say or assume that both parties have seen each other before or know each other. A lot of times information is passed off to individuals you have not met and don't have much contact information on or you've never actually seen them even if you've spoken to them before. So when looking at the live drop, if this is something you want to do, we need to go back to earlier podcasts and the entire general gray man concept. It needs to be normal to you, normal to your life. It needs to make sense. It needs to look like you belong there and that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing so that you don't stand out. That's part of hiding in plain sight. This is everything from your location you choose, the time of day, the behavior you have. And most often we see this in restaurants and coffee shops and the movies. The reality of it goes a little farther than that. As long as you can be creative and you know what you're doing, you can do a live drop anywhere. You can do it on the bus, at a sporting event, at a concert. You can do it at church. You can just do it walking down the street. You can do it anywhere, including a grocery store. There's all kinds of ways to do it. Some movies go so far as to show ways live drops are done in other places like libraries or bookstores. So there's a lot of ways to do it. You're only limited to your own creativity. One of the things we see about live drops in the movies is it almost comes off like it's an emergency and they pick a place to make the exchange. And the entire format in the movie is not dissimilar than the hostage negotiation where they trade one person for the other. Now that can happen, of course. But what you want to have, and one thing they don't always explain in the movies, whether they know it or not, or if it's realistic, is that at least one person is familiar with that location. Preferably both if you're on the same team and you know each other well. So if you're going to plan this ahead, start looking at places you already use now that you frequent regularly. And case those joints, as we say. Just like we've talked about in previous podcasts. What are your ways out? What are your contingency plans? How are you going to act in a certain situation? When are you normally there? Does that work for the other person? Things like this is what we want to look at. The other thing about the live drop is, is it a live drop where you sit down next to the person and give them an item, or is it a live drop where whether they think it's live or not, you're there observing what's happening? And this is done to ensure that the drop is picked up successfully so that if it cannot be picked up successfully, it can be recovered by whoever dropped it in the first place. Depending on how serious you take this and what you're actually using it for, you need to make sure you follow some basic security considerations, not your security. What security is in place at that location? There's a lot of things now, like surveillance, that is very frequent in many locations, and you need to be regularly aware of that. So as an example, I would never use a gas station as a drop for something that was important. There's too much surveillance in those areas. Now, there's a lot of places with high-profile security, so you have to keep that in mind. What kind of cameras do they have? Why do they have those cameras? Where are they? The worst place you could probably do one, unless you really know what you're doing, would be a place like a casino that can see just about every inch of that place. The other thing you have to consider, no matter how seriously you're taking this, is how can you be tracked? So even if you put everything in place and you were really confident about this, and say you went to a coffee shop like a Starbucks that probably doesn't have security, but then use a debit card or credit card that's tied to you, you've labeled yourself as being there. So this is not meant, as I've said before, to teach anybody how to commit a crime, but in times like this, you have to think like a criminal. How would a criminal get away with it? How would a bad guy not want to be caught? What would he do differently? What would he look at? And those are the considerations you take in place because you're trying to hide in plain sight and not get found out. Now you can, of course, pick more remote locations. The park bench overlooking the pond with the ducks. As long as it's normal that you're going to be there. The more isolated it is, you could be safer, but let's take that park bench idea for an example. 
if it's in a place like a park bench looking at a pond of ducks on a golf course and a lot of people walk their dogs there, you don't want to just assume that you can show up out of the blue and do that. If you have the time before you have to do the drop, you want to surveil that area. So you want to learn things like, when are people allowed to walk on this golf course? How often do they do it? When do they do it despite the rules? What people have a regular pattern of being there at a specific time or a specific window of time? How often do people even sit on that bench? You may not stand out to a person driving by, but are you going to stand out to somebody that frequents that area? And then you have to ask yourself, do you actually want to start making a presence and a pattern in order to use that location? And there's times where live drops, people go in and set patterns in order to be present in that location, sometimes for months, in order to ensure that when the time comes they need to use that drop, they can put it into place and action, use it, and nobody's the wiser because they've maintained such a pattern of being there, their presence remains hidden, although they're in plain sight because everybody's just used to seeing them and they ignore them. So as much as we previously discussed using patterns to analyze information, find bad guys, sometimes you have to put a pattern in place that's completely boring and normal until it's just overlooked and ignored by people or most of them so that you can take advantage of that pattern. So don't think of patterns as always being bad. This is why at the beginning I mentioned what places do you already use now? What places make sense to you? A good example to people that go to church. When I went to church when I was younger, we had greeters. People always met you in the door, shook your hand. It was very common. That'd be a great way to pass off information. Let's say you frequent that church, and especially if you're a greeter, the greeter's working with you in a team, and this can, of course, be applied to many other situations, but they're always constantly shaking people's hands and greeting them. Then you have somebody come in as a visitor, you're the greeter, and you pass off information during the handshake. Right in plain sight, but goes completely hidden, because everything you're doing is normal, normal that location, makes sense for you and for that person. The point being is just like anything, people often make these things harder than they are and more complicated than they need to be. You got to look for what is the simplest answer. What's the easiest and most simplest way I can make this happen right in plain sight that would go unnoticed to even a person who knows me very well standing right there. Another way to look at the live drop is how we pass things off to a person without physically making contact or getting too close to them, whether they realize we're there or not. A very good example of a live drop, as funny as this might sound. We see it in the movies all the time with the prostitute where they do the deed and they leave the money on the counter or they come in, they place the money on the counter, they see it, nobody touches it, whatever happens, happens, and then they pick it up later. It's actually the same idea as a live drop. It's not uncommon to have a live drop where two people don't make contact. They both see each other at the location, but they don't make direct contact with each other and they verify through a system of signals that the live drop's in place. And signals don't have to get that elaborate. It can be very, very simple. A lot of times you see things in the movie about they scratch their nose, they do this thing, they apply hot sauce instead of ketchup. If this is a pre-coordinated live drop and you've communicated a standard protocol, whether it's for a one-time drop or just part of your normal routine, it can be very simple, such as if I'm sitting on the north side of the building, the live drop's good. If I'm sitting on the south side, the live drop's bad. It's a much simpler way than using the shoelace method I mentioned in one of the previous podcasts for communicating information. It could also just be as simple as clothing you're wearing. If I'm wearing the hat, it's good. If I'm not wearing the hat, it's bad. Maybe it's the sunglasses. Maybe it's the color of your shirt. You just keep it very simple. The dead drop protocols are pretty much the same thing and very easy for you to adopt. You just don't have one person there even observing. If anybody's observing, it's technically a live drop, at least for one of you. In the movies, most things you see on the internet, the dead drop uses more of a remote location. 
Uh, we see it in movies all the time, like The Recruit. That's about guys in the CIA where Colin Farrell picks up a firearm. He's running in a route he normally runs, stops for a break on a park bench. He looks around. Nobody's there. He reaches under, finds an envelope, and inside it's the item that he needs. You know, a simple way to do it is if you're going to pass information off to somebody that hikes or gets into, like, geocaching, all you have to do is give them a set of coordinates to somewhere near a location where the other geocache would be. Then when they're out there doing some geocaching, following their normal routine, or at least for that day, they can go to these other set of coordinates. That'd be a simple way to do it. Dead drops don't always have to be remote. They can be completely in public. It becomes more risky because it depends on where you're leaving the item. So one thing we see is a library in the movies and people put something in a book and a person comes by later and picks it up. That's great and everything. The question is, how often or what are the odds somebody's going to pick up that book? So if you were going to do something like that, you'd want to look at a place where books that aren't frequently used are a little more difficult to get to, something that's a bit of a challenge and not as appealing. It lowers the risk factor. Not that there isn't risk there. Another way they do it, though, is think more simply. Think about when the husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other hide a gift that the other person can find. That's a dead drop. Also think about a scavenger hunt. That's another way that a dead drop's done. I don't think spies really use the scavenger hunt, but that's exactly what a dead drop is. It's just multiple locations. Of course, one thing we think about is a dead drop being something you physically recover, even a message, but it doesn't have to be. A simple example is an encoded message that you don't retrieve, you only see, and that's a dead drop. If you look at places like Hurricane Katrina or other disaster areas where people have been evacuated, there's a series of symbols that you can see uh, an X is drawn and certain symbols are put in there. You can look that up on their website and it explains whether or not the house has been cleared, what's happened. It's a dead drop way to pass a message off. There's also live drop ways to do encoded messages. One of the things you can hear about or see on a simple Google search is about how women, and this can be done for men too, that are in some sort of danger, call and order a pizza from 911. And it's a coded message, but it's a live drop because it's a message being passed off to another person. The reason that's a good example is they're using a very simple phrase or a few words to tell a bigger story. So if you're going to live drop a message, you want some system of encoding and you can just keep it simple like that. And you don't need to blast the whole thing up there. Another way to dead drop messages, and this is seen in older movies, but even still gets done today is publications. It used to be the newspaper and now there's different ways to do it. Some of you have probably heard of number stations. That's either a live drop or a dead drop. And the only difference is between whether or not the broadcaster is actually there, but it's still a way to pass off an encoded message to somebody in the field. Now, a lot of number stations people think they find are actually kind of like hacks or a goof thing. Some of them are just old recordings. People are replaying stuff. The other thing, too, is they're called number stations. There's a movie called The Number Stations about it where they read off a series of numbers, but it hasn't really been done like that in a long time. Some of it's just white noise and static with hidden messages. Some of it's tones, music, all different kinds of sounds and things have been used and a number station to pass off information and encoded messages. It's become more elaborate in the last few decades just to the advent of technology, decryption devices, different types of computer systems that can be used. So there's all kinds of ways to do it other than just numbers. Some of them are stories. So just like reading a classified ad might have something in it, which doesn't have to be a newspaper. It could be a Craigslist posting or an eBay listing. The other thing it can be is just a message hidden in musical tones. There's a lot of ways this can be done and reasons you might do them, but let's say 
You have potted plants in front of your house. As an example, some people have potted plants, ones you can move very easily. Well, you could make it as simple as saying, if this plant's moved in this order, that's a different message. It's finding out things you have every day that would relatively go unnoticed. A simple example would be, what if you had a handicap placard for your car? The one that hangs in the window? Of course, you have to use it when you park, right? Okay, what about the habit of just putting it in the window? Have you considered that it's a simple habit somebody would do when they don't need to do it? What if they parked in a different spot and hung it up? That could be a message. Or what if they hung it up while they're at their home and somebody drove by and saw it? That could be a message. What about where your garbage cans go? In my subdivision, I roll my garbage can out. I don't want to roll over it, so I either got to put it to the right or the left of the driveway. Which side I put it on and which way I face it, that can be a message. The idea is to make it as simple as possible. What makes it elaborate and somewhat complicated is the development of the communication system. What do these things mean? Once you have that in place and people learn it or a way to decode it, the actual act of sending the message needs to be simple and look normal. Think about the blinds in your house. Which way do they go? Are they open? Are they closed? Are they just twisted to let light in? That's another way to send a message. How about when you're in a grocery store filling up your cart? A simple message could be, if I take the peanut butter and I put it up in the top portion of the cart next to my stomach, that's a message. How about being in a place where it'd be common for you to be reading a book? And then when somebody comes in and sees you, a little while later, you close the book. And what they look for is whether or not you use a bookmark or you fold the page. Those can be two different messages. The point being is you got to think simply. Things that aren't going to be obvious to other people. And you're pretty much unlimited based on creativity of how you want to do a dead drop or a live drop message. It doesn't always have to be a physical item. The reason I'm hitting this a little bit more is to also drive home the idea that a lot of live drops and dead drops, if not most of them, are about passing off information, answers to questions, guidance, directives more than passing off physical items. Another thing you can add is a more complex way of coding, but isn't that difficult? One of the times when I was overseas, I had an individual who was maintaining and able to service any of my accounts online that required a password, whether it was banking or otherwise. It was something that I needed in case I didn't have access to a computer or something came up. One of the things required was a simple encoding list using the numbers 1 through 26 and A through Z in the alphabet. Now, one of them was just a list of different types of accounts and websites that would make sense if anybody saw it. it. might look like things I need to pay attention to or track, so that was no big deal. The other thing was lists of passwords. They were all varying types. Some didn't look like passwords. Some were just phrases to remind me of passwords or things I knew what that password would be. And then what I chose to do, because I was overseas, is I took those and put them into a series of notes based on things I was studying that would look normal to anybody else. That's just what I chose to do. If one of us had to change a password on a site for any reason, we would inform the other just by passing a simple code. So if somewhere in a message or we just sent an email that said 12 Charlie, it would mean nothing to anybody, but it would now tell me that those items were coinciding, meaning item number 12, let's say, was a bank account and Charlie was the password. I now know that password applies to that, which gave me multiple combinations. It's also why I didn't just have a list of passwords. I had a list of ideas or phrases to remind me of passwords so they wouldn't all be found or easily figured out. Now, I don't believe everybody needs to go that detailed, but it might change how you do business if you want to, and I think more things would be protected if people did that. Now, as I previously mentioned, there's ways you can hide things around your home. In the show notes, I got some links that say eBay search, Amazon search, Pinterest search, and one is for another specific website. These are all general searches to show you different items you can either buy or make yourself to keep in your home as they might make sense in order to hide items. Just don't keep all your eggs in one basket. 
And there's a lot of simple ways to do this. They're very common items. Just make sure that you're purchasing items that would make sense to be in your home. Some of these are items you can make or buy yourself. Some you may have seen where people use things as large as furniture or clocks to hide items. Some of them are different types of vents that you can put in the wall that are fake that have storage. You can do things as simply as open up a light socket, don't electrocute yourself and put something small in there. Some are common everyday items like cans of shaving cream, hollowed out screws, all kinds of items where you can hide stuff. Some are books you can buy that are completely hollow in the inside. Although you have to realize some of these things are highly noticeable and they need to make sense for what you are. So you could also just hollow out your own book by cutting out some pages. Some of the other items are things that aren't products. They're things you can make or adjust. So some people use different types of uh, PVC or ABS piping in their house and create false extensions on them that don't connect into the system, that have a cap on them, that look like they're completely secured and glued on, are in fact are glued on they only want to use it one time that they can open up and have something inside of it some of them are where people take vacuum cleaners or old vacuum cleaners and inside where the bag would be they keep a ziploc bag with documents the point is to spread it around a little bit it's great if you have a safe it really is but if it's reasonable a person could pick up your safe and walk out of your house no matter how difficult it is to get in there you've lost that item and whatever else is in there now there are things to consider that aren't all that common you probably haven't had your house burned down, but that could happen. Just make sure you realize the risk factor of things that aren't in a protected case that can save them from like a fire that could get damaged if something bad happened. But even if that's the situation and you're worried about something like water or fire, there's plenty of bags and containers you can buy now for fairly cheap amounts of money that protect valuables against water damage, smoke, and fire. Also, if you follow the link to the Gray Man Concepts Facebook page, and if you're listening to this after today, you want to scroll down and look for posts on April 4th, 2020, there's a video I put up of some examples of eight simple ways somebody used items in their home to hide valuables. Other examples are like how people hide keys to their house. Some people take pill bottles and throw a key in a pill bottle and glue the cap to a rock or other item that would be placed in the yard and look normal. If you're going to go that route, you don't want to have it really close to the door in an obvious place that's very convenient for you. At least just as bad, if not worse, than having the key under the mat. Now you might be thinking, I got like 200 rocks near my door. Yeah, that'll make it hard for the burglar, but here's what'll make easy. When you go to get that item, when you need to get in your house and somebody sees you bend over, pick up a rock, do something, and all of a sudden you can get in the house, if anybody sees that, they know where that key is. So that's why you want to have it in a completely different location. Some points to remember, if you're going to use some sort of live drop, it needs to make completely logical sense that both people would reasonably be there. However, with the dead drop, it only needs to be one of you that reasonably could visit that place regularly, if not either one of you. And that's only because people go to places all the time they don't visit frequently or have never been before. So it's like going into a store. It's just more important with the live drop because you're both there and either going to be in direct contact or close contact. Look for ways to develop your own system of passing off messages because that could be a really wonderful tool. Also consider how are you going to pass these items off. So going back to what we just talked about, the different items you can find in those searches, a lot of them aren't just ways to change construction of your house. It might just be a physical item that makes sense. Is that an item you can pass off in public? Another way you could do it is just by making a sale. Think of like a flea market or festival where people are selling items that they either make or whatever reason they sell it, you walk around to a tent. The item you're going to purchase doesn't even be sitting out there or even be related to what they're 
selling in general. It could just be a simple phrase or you tell them you're looking for something if they have any ideas and they say, yeah, I think I got something or I have something like this. You can have whatever conversation, make that purchase and walk away with that item. The key points are though, you need three main factors to make this work for you in everyday life. One is the location. It needs to be a location where the pattern that you visit it makes sense for what you're doing, whether it's frequent or infrequent. Even if the idea of just going there and visiting it is to get familiar with it and feel comfortable in that location. The other thing you need is some sort of system of signals to let people know that the coast is clear, the item is secure in that location, we're not safe, here's how you find it, anything like that, some sort of system of signaling. The other thing you need is an encoded way, your own system to develop how to pass off messages. All it takes is a little creativity. You can do this on your own, work it out with whoever, even if it's just your family, and then you'll have something good going for you. Whether you're doing this for fun or you're doing it away for the end of the world or a way just to send safe and secure messages to be protected, these can work for you in everyday life, however you choose to do it. A lot of it's no different than we see in the movies, and I know people have done this, where they're going out on a date and the girlfriend calls them with a fake emergency, and they use that to get out of a bad date. Same idea. Just come up with that own set of systems and signals that won't stand out. So don't do the bad date phone call. People all know that. Even if it's real, they're going to think it's not. Come up with something that works for you. Keep it simple. You don't need cool phrases out of the movies about whether or not it's raining and you carry an umbrella or some weird encrypted statement. It could just be as simple as the clothing you wear which is one of the number one ways that we identify assets and sources when we meet them, whether they're new or whether or not it's safe to approach them. Pick something like that, something that makes sense. Where you sit, what's on your face, whether it's glasses or hat, whether or not you're wearing makeup, whether or not you're wearing a tie. Keep it very, very simple. Pick locations that make sense. If you want to practice this, start with the locations you have now that you frequent. Make sure if you're doing it as practice, which is the best way to start out, Make it not only fun, but make it look like it's a game so that if for some reason somebody sees you and they get suspicious or somehow law enforcement gets involved, anything crazy can happen, make sure you're covering what you're doing by making it look like it's a game. So if you're doing this with, say, your wife or your kids, make sure they understand what you're doing so if somebody sees it and it turns into a bad situation, you can pass it off as a game because that's really all it is is simply a game. Plus, if you get seen or discovered, you might be able to figure out why. Probably will be somewhat obvious. And you can see some sort of flaw in your execution that you can correct later. Now, also don't forget, again, go down to the show notes and check for those links where you can see some different general items. You can probably come up with some stuff on your own. Definitely talk to somebody that's a burglar. If you know anybody, they can actually tell you a lot of things about how to secure your valuables at home and what not to do. Make sure that if you have a safe, you keep important items in that somebody can just walk away with. It's probably not the best plan. Make sure you split items up, letters, communication, anything you're passing off in multiple passes or multiple locations to ensure that if anybody finds one thing, they don't find it all. And if you just keep it simple, try to make it fun, you can actually find ways to make this work for you. The biggest thing too is remember, don't get too caught up in spy novels or the movies. They tend to make things overcomplicated. And they're also things people think of, so you got to be unique and special to yourself and whoever you're communicating with in a live drop or dead drop. As always, if you have thoughts, ideas, or questions or comments, please throw them in the notes on the Gray Man Concepts Twitter or Facebook page. You can also find my email there if you need to send me a question or have a comment. Don't forget to like, share, or heart on whatever platform you're following if this is what you're into. And 
give it to other people you think might find this interesting. If this is your first time, go to anchor.fm.com and find the Anchor app where you can find this show and you'll see the icons for the other locations that this is distributed on, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Also check that link at the bottom for the other podcast I recommend you should check out, the Disagreeable Thoughts and Philosophies of DMR Publications. A lot of you may enjoy that. You can typically find that released once a week on a Friday or Saturday. As always, thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this. Please, if there's subjects you want to hear more about or I haven't talked about yet, let me know. And we look forward to giving you more good information, skills, techniques, procedures, and theory on the Gray Man concept right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.